Well, hello everyone and welcome to the Kudzu Radio Hour. This is the Kudzu Radio Hour, number 130, recorded on Saturday, November 28th, 2020. Certainly hope you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving day and are continuing to have a wonderful Thanksgiving weekend. How about it? Not much like the holiday season, huh? Well, today we're going to be talking about um, movies. Yeah, we decided to change it up a little bit and talk about movies that uh, that we feel, uh, each of us feel like are, are good movies that you may or may not have even heard of, you know. Lots of times great motion pictures come out and they kind of fly under the radar for some reason. And that's what we're going to talk about a little bit later on. The program, the Kudzu Radio Hour, is brought to you by, as always, Springer Mountain Farms. Springer Mountain Farms, fresh chicken, responsibly raised on family farms, with no antibiotics, no hormones, no steroids, no animal byproducts ever. Man, that's good. That's healthy for you. That's, that's good stuff. Get more information or order, order online at SpringerMountain.com. Not only is Springer Mountain Chicken healthier for you, but it also tastes very, very good. So that's SpringerMountain.com. That's Springer MTN. Abbreviation, right? SpringerMountain.com. Be sure to check them out. Tell them uh, Michael Buffalo and the guys at Kudzu sent you program is also brought to you by support from that little old band from Los Angeles called the Boxmasters, who have a wonderful new album out. If you haven't heard it, you need to. The album's called Light Rose, uh, uh, Light Race, that's what I said, Light Race, and uh, it's already been getting great reviews all around the world. Every song on it's great, uh, great songs written by Bud Thornton and J.D. Andrew, and um, really good music, really, really good, I love it. Out of all their albums over the past 10 years, I think it might be my favorite one, and that's saying a lot, folks. So the album is Light Rays, the band is Boxmasters. Be sure to visit their website at theboxmasters.com, and also while you're on that fancy that fancy thing we call the internet. Go on over and sign up to follow them on Instagram at the Boxmasters Official uh, is the name of the um, account that you want to follow. And uh, all social media, just just uh, keep up with the Boxmasters because they're really a fun band and. Uh, You'll be happy you did. And when the uh, COVID thing moves on out and uh, we're able to do it, they're going to be back out with a tour next summer. And not only in the United States, but all around over in in Europe too. How about that? So we're looking forward to that. It's going to be great. I know they're chomping at the bit to get out. Like most musicians, all of us, really miss going out and playing live 
and uh, I feel sure that that's all going to come back around for us and for you. The Kudzu Radio Hour is also brought to you by the fine folks at Foghat Cellars. You've heard me talk about Foghat wine now for many, many years. It's still my favorite. I love the Pinot. Pinot is good, and so is the Chardonnay, but it's all good. All of it's good. The same band that you've trusted to bring you the boogie and the blues all these years? A lot of years. Well, now they can bring you, uh, they're bringing you some outstanding wine as well. So, there you go. How about it? Foghatsellers.com. Go to foghatsellers.com and check it out. Or you can go, also you can find it by going through the band website at foghat.com. And man, thanks to all of our sponsors as always. Also, uh, if you haven't seen it yet, issue number 40 of Kudzu Magazine is out with a cover story and interview with the great Dwayne Betts of the Almond Betts Band. Also, a really great interview with Billy Crane and another one with Bud and JD from the Boxmasters. All those interviews plus all the regular features and much, 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 much more, all free at kudzumag.com. K U D Z O O M A G, kudzumag.com. One more thing I wanted to tell you about uh, we have a brand new channel on YouTube, YouTube called The Ambassador of Southern Rock. Just punch that into the search bar, find the Ambassador of Southern Rock. We've got uh, interviews, lots and lots of interviews. Uh, most recently, we've got one with Roger Earl from Foghat talking about uh, the band and his days before Foghat when he was in Savoy Brown. Uh, and also a great interview with a guitar monster named Freddie Salem. From the Outlaws, another great interview. Uh, many more interviews coming all the time at the Ambassador of Southern Rock YouTube channel. Well, we're going to be back in just a couple of minutes with the guys to do the um, to do the the uh, talk about things, all kinds of stuff. We're going to kick off with my buddy Donnie Winters uh, from his one and only solo album they did a couple of years ago. This is a really cool song that Donnie wrote and sings and plays called If I'm Lucky. And we will be right back in just a few minutes. Y'all stay tuned. Follow me. 
Well, yeah, that is our buddy Donnie Winters. A uh, song called If I'm Lucky, man. I love that song and I love his. He's only done the one solo album and did it a couple of years ago and it's really good. But Donnie's a great singer, songwriter, and an amazing guitar player. Monster guitar player. Monster man. guitar player, that's right. Uh, please uh, welcome uh, my co host on this program. My fellow beer drinkers and hellraisers, Billy Eli, from, from Parts Unknown, and from Austin, Texas, we have Jim Hemphill and Patrick Beach. Hi, guys. Yeah, hello. What's going on, Buff? Oh, yo, 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 yo. Not much. So I want to start right quickly, just ask you guys, uh, how did your Thanksgiving day go? Oh, mine was mine was excellent. Started with uh, Texas-shaped waffles, bacon, and mimosas. Uh, went through traditional Thanksgiving. Just had my just small nuclear family, my wife, me, and my two daughters, and capped it off at night by watching uh, Hitchcock's Rear Window on Turner Classic Movies. Nice day, very nice day. Good, good. Well, Got you approach. say nuclear. Uh, my my meal was made in a microwave oven. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> so that's just. I mean, it's the same thing as you know. It's just one guy here, right? Turkey. <laughs> it was rotisserie chicken with cornbread dressing and um, one singular slice of cherry pie, and some of that uh, Sierra Nevada celebration beer. Yeah, and like mm-hmm. I said, I did a Jack Nicholson film festival. I went back and, and watched uh, Cuckoo's Nest and um, Easy Rider, and believe it or not, I had never seen Five Easy Pieces. Boy, good movie, isn't it? It was really good, really good. Uh, other guys, uh, Patrick, how was your? Well, well I'll, go, I'll go, Jim. Uh, uh, I'm sure you got some leftover stuffing. You need to get that Texas-shaped waffle maker out. <laughs> and waffle some, waffle some stuffing. We were talking gra- about this yesterday. Yeah. Were we? <laughs> waffle it's, some it's, stuffing. Throw some gravy on it. Some turkey on it. You got a hot turkey sandwich. It's like a turkey hash sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> but man, wow. uh, we had a, we had a great time. It was just uh, my nuclear family too, because my younger son moved to Boston about ten days ago. So his uh, Thanksgiving Day dinner with his two new roommates <laughs> was going to be fried chicken, and then he realized they didn't have enough oil to fry chicken. So their Thanksgiving dinner wound up being even more pathetic than yours, Buff. Leftover <laughs> McDonald's chicken McNuggets. Oh, whoa. <laughs> but we had a good time. The four of us went through five bottles of Prosecco for mimosas. The turkey was just perfect. Everybody loved it. And we've got a ton of leftovers. So everybody's happy. And everybody's still speaking with one another. That counts as oh, a that's success. Amazing. Sam, you got to call that a win, man. <laughs> that's right. You yeah, mean? yeah. If you know what, man, if there was that much booze and nobody got in a fist fight, hell yeah, you're way ahead of the game. That's yeah. right. I tried to provoke something a time or two, but it you just really? Ah, yeah. <laughs> oh, man, get out of town. <laughs> Billy, what did you do? What did you have a good one? Yeah, same kind of thing, man. I mean, you know, it was uh, me and Pam and, and Dylan and, and uh, Pam's mom, Kathy, came over, and uh, we didn't cook. We ordered one of the pre-made. Uh, you know thanksgiving dinners from a local restaurant and i i don't know i drink 12 or 15 long stars and 
No, that was pretty much it. We just ate and I ate and drank myself into a coma and, and, <laughs> and it was an early, pretty early day. And yeah. And now it's Saturday or Sunday, whatever day it is. <laughs> so yeah, so, uh, here's, and here's the way I look at it. Yeah. I got through it. The cops didn't show up. Nobody had to go to the emergency room. We're calling this win. <laughs> well, that's good. That's good. Well, let's do this. Uh, let's do this game real quick. This high fidelity game. Uh, and we'll just, <clears throat> Billy, I want to do you first. Cause so in case you have to make your call. Yeah. Cause I gotta go. I gotta go do my, my Griffey calls, my Saturday Griffey call. That's right, man. That's right. The, uh, I often think we should schedule the show at a different time so it don't clash with that. I don't know why we don't. Well, because uh, the visits with him usually don't take but five or six minutes. I mean, he he doesn't really want to talk to me. He wants to see that I'm here. Check me off the list. So, uh, you know what? I ought to record. <laughs> I ought to come up with some way to record our visit to play on the show because it's like this. Hey, Griffey, how are you today? Daddy, bye. Okay, I've seen you. You've said hello. <laughs> Go away. <laughs> wow, wow. I have I have checked you off the list. Now get back in context. <laughs> All right, we'll start off with Billy. The the, the uh, <clears throat> high fidelity game. I'm, I want you to just name the three that come to mind immediately. And this is tailored especially for you. Greatest ever drinking songs, Billy. Go. Oh man, they're all Gary Stewart songs. <laughs> uh, drink, drinking things. She's acting single. I'm drinking double. And uh, you know what? I'm gonna change it up and do something different. Jose Cuervo by uh, uh, Dottie West's daughter. What's her name? Uh, uh, I, can't, I can't think of Shelly. Uh, uh, Shelly West. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't. Yeah, Jose Cuervo. Great tequila song, man. Is that three or is that two? That's, That's two. Three. three. Oh, okay. I missed yeah. one. Two, uh, two of them. No, two of them. Oh, two of them were Gary Stewart songs. Yeah, drinking uh, thing, and she's uh, and she's acting single. I'm drinking doubles. All right, all right. <laughs> well, all right, Jim. Yes, sir. Greatest cover versions of songs go. Oh, uh, absolutely sweet Marie, Jason and the Scorchers covering Woo! Bob Dylan. I believe the Beat Farmers covering Bruce Springsteen. Another winner, man. Uh, and, you know, I'm going to go with, uh, I'm going to go with Chimes of Freedom, the birds covering Dylan. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, as you were saying that about Dylan, I was thinking, man, you can pick, all three of yours could be Dylan songs. Man. Easily. Easily. And I, you know, the, the beauty of this game is I, I would come up probably with different ones if I had more time to think, but I like the well, spontaneity of these. What I like about this game is that really none of this is wrong, man. I agree. I can, I can come up with, with three completely different ones, but yours are, but yours are spot on too. <laughs> yeah. It's everybody gets a prize, man. <laughs> All right, so the next one up is our boy, Patrick Beach. Yes, sir. My little question for you is so easy. It's so easy, it's so easy. Yes, indeed, it's so easy. Uh, musical guilty pleasures. Name things that we might not necessarily uh, think of you 
enjoying, but yet you do, in fact, enjoy them. I'm not talking about sexual now. I'm talking about music. <laughs> you mean you mean aside from insane clown posse, right? <laughs> well, yeah, everybody <laughs> likes them. My kid last night sent me a thing saying, "Just admit it." Insane Clown Posse is Kiss for Boomers or Boomer, whatever, whatever is that name? Oh, yeah, Guilty Pleasures. Hey, well, Boomer. Of course, Kiss. Um, <clears throat> and I know one of my Guilty Pleasures is uh, a Stones album of all things, Metamorphosis, which is far oh, yeah. from anywhere near the best Stones albums, but I bought it at some bargain bin when I was in high school and just listen to the heck out of it and uh i have a real attachment to that album so that's two you know what i've mentioned led zeppelin too many times but i still think of them as something of a guilty pleasure because that bond that band embodied the times and the excess and the double neck guitar and the tolkien references and the uh alistair crowley uh you know mysticism stuff it was just very emblematic of the time so i can't I can't listen to Led Zeppelin as much as I love them without a little bit of irony to temper all that overblownness, if that makes any sense. <laughs> it does to me. Yeah. yeah. I had many a uh, conversation with uh, friends in high school over Zeppelin and, you know, everybody was so crazy about them and I just, you know, I wasn't, I mean, uh, yeah, they're great. Of course they're great. But I just couldn't stand to listen to, to Robert Plant's voice. I really couldn't. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It just did. I didn't like it. And uh, of course, everybody likes Stairway to Heaven. But, you know, after the 5,000th time on classic rock radio, that's another beef of mine is classic rock radio. It needs to go away. Yeah. Because if they're going to do it, they need to play album cuts. Yeah. You no, know? but nobody wants to. They, they just want to play the same same songs every day yeah. over and over stir with heaven and Freebird, please leave me alone okay i've said my piece put on a little bit of that hey clock face from that elvis costello that I, i've been playing that all all weekend that's some good stuff man um so anybody got one for me i do i do it's probably um, hard if you did it. Golly. No, no, no. This is an easy one. And just, I know that the audience loves hearing about our technical stuff. Mr. Eli says he's in the waiting room coming back oh. in. So, oh, good, uh, good. I'll let you take care of that. And then we'll, uh, I'll oh, ask I him. I hit the admit button. All right. Just admit it. I'm um, admitting him. Um, he needs, okay. He needs to be admitted. All right, Buff. Here's my oh, here's here he is. Okay, here's on. my here's my question for you. It's All this right. is an easy one. Okay. Three great side men or side women. Someone who stands beside the star, either playing an instrument, doing backup vocals, whatever. Three great ones. That's oh man, a, and there's so many. Question, man. Uh, first one that comes to mind. My my good buddy passed away about a year or two ago. Pete Carr. Uh, great lead guitar player and uh played on so many hits you know everything bob seeger ever recorded i was gonna say man he was on all those early seeger records yeah man. he was it was the swampers and pete carr that backed mm -hmm. up seeger in the studio not the silver bullet band so he also he did, was uh he did that great he did that great guitar part on my favorite seeger tune main street he did that lead on there and yeah. uh 
he had a unique style of lead and he played on two of my albums and i i don't know how that ever happened i just got lucky but he also played in that famous uh concert in central park that simon and garfunkel did oh wow uh he was the lead player and he did a lot of play with him so anyway pete car pete cars one uh I would say side men, uh, three side men and one, the Leonard Skinner Honkettes, the original Honkettes. Yeah. With my friend, yeah. Reverend Jojo Billingsley. I loved her. We got to be very good friends. Leslie Hawkins, of course, and everybody knows Cassie Gaines, who passed away in the plane crash, 77. So the Honkettes, Pete Carr, the Honkettes. Side men, I would have to say Dwayne Allman. Uh, you know, as a member of the Allman Brothers band for sure, but as a side man in the studio, he was on countless, countless great albums by everybody from, you know, Aretha Franklin, Wilson Pickett to just everything in the world, you know, great, just great lead guitar. So that's my other one. Hey, Dwayne let, me, man, let me interject something here, and this is kind of different, man. First of all, it's all indie, but, uh, Somebody that three of us know, and me and Jim have worked with, Ken Stringfell. Oh, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. man, he's he's what? He's in a half a dozen bands that you've heard of. He he, mm-hmm. he played – he was a side guy with R.E.M. He, he did uh, he did all that uh, – uh, Alex Chilton, uh, uh, what the, the big reconstituted star. big star. Big star. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And, uh, and uh, you know, when I first met him, he was playing bass with uh, Taff Falco. Mm-hmm. Remember the uh, what the unapproachable Panther Birds? Yep. <laughs> yeah, and that was how that was how I met him. Their uh, their gear had gotten lost on a flight from L.A. They needed a ride from the airport, and I had a van. <laughs> and I, so cool. I picked, I picked them up and chauffeured match. them. Yeah, I picked them up and chauffeured them around for a day, man. <laughs> no, it it was fun. But uh, but Ken was playing bass with in in that group, you know, and and. And he plays keyboards in some bands, and I mean, and again, it's indie, and but you know, but yeah. Anyway, sorry. Ken Ken works all the time. He does, uh, man. Yeah, he does. I tell you what, and the most interesting guy I've ever recorded with, so different than any of the other guys I work <laughs> with. When you record with him, when I did, we spent a lot of time. We would sit. I hear and him. We, and we drink coffee, and we just kind of talk about just whatever for an hour or so and he'd go oh man i got an idea he chews up up and then you know and and then we'd work for 20 or 30 minutes and then we'd stop and we'd bullshit again you know for 40 minutes he'd go oh you know man i know something we could do right here and uh it was it was a real uh as he described it it was real organic the way that we did the way that we recorded and uh but no oh, man yeah, it was yeah. it was a lot of fun and i got a lot out of it so i remember he was he was he was here in austin making a friend of mine's record and and i went over and met those two and was like okay let's get started but first we need to go to lockhart and get some barbecue and then right. we'll come back and yeah. get started yeah 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 right and uh yeah no man it's yeah he he's a lovely guy to work with and Anyway, uh, are we moving on to our? Yeah, we're moving on to recommendations. Let's uh, see. Let's uh, everybody do a little recommendation here. Uh, Billy, do you have one while you're talking? Yeah, uh, we're talking about movies, right? Well, no, this. Well, this is no that movies is a topic, but the recommendation can be anything. 
Any music? Oh, uh, uh, anything? Oh, oh, anything? Anything we're doing at the moment? Uh, yeah. Uh, I tell you, man, if you hadn't, it, this is a book, and I'm kind of revisiting it. Although I'm not, I'm kind of skipping around. Uh, and and all you journalist guys will like this. Hell's Angel by Hunter S. Thompson. Oh yes. Everybody ought oh, to yes. go back. Everybody oh, ought yes. to go back and reread that. No doubt. I just did I mean, that about I, a year I've, ago. Yeah. I've read it a couple of times, but it's been 20 years. And, and, uh, man, you, for, you forget just what a good kind of storyteller that guy was. Man. Mm-hmm. Really good and, storyteller. And, 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 a good, and, a, and, a, and a good writer, man. You know, man. A, a lot of, a lot of good storytellers aren't good writers, but, but he had it. Well, man, what do you got going on there, Pat? I think we got a package delivery or something. The dogs are going crazy in the window right behind me. <laughs> <coughs> yeah, Must be a package of dog food coming. Yeah. Uh. Now cowboys drinking margaritas, bucking waves. On Yale Nights from Billy Eli and Company, man, that's a, that's a good one. I like that a lot. And the uh, single's going to be available all over the place December 1st. And I suggest that you uh, purchase that bad boy, download it, and enjoy it. It's a good one. Um, 
Today, we're going to talk about movies instead of music. We're going to talk about, well, not, not instead of, but some of them may even have music in them. Who knows? Uh, I believe, I feel sure that at least one person is going to have a movie, uh, a movie with music in it. But we're talking about movies that uh, are mm, good movies, but you may not you may not have ever heard of. You know, maybe didn't get the recognition that we feel individually that they deserved. So, all that being said, and wasn't that a lot? Let's uh, let's start with somebody. Let's start with Jim. Ooh. All right. <laughs> Here yeah. we go. Here we go. Good. Now I can, I can go to school on his list. <laughs> now these, uh, some of these movies I haven't seen since the 1980s. So you're going to have to take my, you're going to have to take my uh, aged memory as, as uh, you know, you have to trust it, put some faith in it. You know, I think I've said this before on the show, but there was a time in the eighties when I had the perfectly acceptable slacker day job for a guy in a band of clerk at a video store. And um, so we had guidelines about what movies we could play, uh, you know, while the establishment was open, you can't play anything R rated. You can't play anything that has lots of blood and guts and everything. And I've said before, when I was working alone, I almost always was playing stop making sense by talking heads. But when the manager was there, he loved, absolutely loved this movie called Streets of Fire. Oh, yeah. And uh, it came out in 1984. Walter Hill directed it, who also did 48 Hours with Eddie Murphy. And he called this movie a rock and roll fable. <clears throat> Excuse me. It, was, it had a real distinctive look. It was kind of 50s meets 80s. It was the it, first MTV movie. Man. It was like an MTV movie. It had like, it was, it took place another time, another place, you know, or something like that. But it, it had, you know, the people kind of looked like they came out of the fifties. The cars kind of looked like they came out of the fifties. The look of the movie was very eighties music video. Everything was at night. Everything that was outside was just after rain. Cause everything was wet and a lot of neon was reflected in wet streets had a lot of that kind of look. Um, it had a very thin plot. Diane Lane was the lead singer of a rock band, and she gets kidnapped by a biker gang led by Willem Dafoe. And Michael Pare is the hero who tries to rescue her. And along the way, there's lots of scenes of crowded nightclubs and bands playing, including the Blasters have a couple of songs. They appear in the movie, the great roots rock band, the Blasters. Uh, they were gonna. It was going to be uh, Bruce Spring, some Bruce Springsteen songs in the movie, and they couldn't work that out. So they got Thunder, Jim Thunder Steinman. <laughs> they got Jim Steinman, who you know wrote all the Meatloaf stuff, to write a couple of songs, and then Dan Hartman, who was in the Edgar Winter Group, had a big hit that he wrote and sang called "I Could Dream About You," was a kind of top ten hit from that from that movie. Maria McKee is on the soundtrack. It was the commercial flop. Uh, it cost. I don't know, 14 or so million to make, and it made about 8 million. Uh, so it really was not a big hit. Uh, and it's really not a great movie. But I've seen it like 50 times. And even though I haven't seen it probably since 1988, I think I could probably sit and recite all of the lines of dialogue. Uh, so it's a, it's a visual experience. It was a great movie. And uh, wasn't Rick Moranis in that? 
Rick Moranis played Wait. Diane Lane's manager and Fish. boyfriend. Wouldn't Fish. Fish. Exactly. Yeah, and uh, and it had uh, I don't think he still lives in Austin, but he did for a while. Wasn't leaving in that. He might have been. He, he played one of the bike. One of the I think so. Gang. Yeah. yeah, one of the bike gang that, and, that was led was, by Willem Dafoe. Yeah. yeah, and he he was in the in the punk band Fear. Uh, yep. Yeah. His big hit was "More Beer," and how can you yeah. not like that song? Yeah. <laughs> yep. So "Streets Fire" is 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 my first one. My second one is an Albert Brooks movie, and and I think a lot of people know his movie Lost in America. And I, there was a that's kickass. On, that's on my list. So there was there was it's it there was a there was a kickass country rock roots rock band in Austin back in the early '90s called Lost in America that you might have heard of somewhere along the line. I have heard of them. But I've got an earlier movie of his called Modern Romance. Which one, is two, three. I don't even miss her. One, two, three. Yes, it's 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 about a conflicted relationship, which is uh, kind of one of the Al- Albert Brooks's specialties. But uh, Catherine Harold is the is the female lead in the movie. Of course, Albert Brooks wrote and directed it, and it's got Bruno Kirby, and uh, also a great a great uh, small role uh, for Bob Einstein. Bob Einstein was Albert Brooks' big brother because Albert Brooks' real name is Albert Einstein, believe it or not. Uh, and uh, Bob Einstein uh, is, was probably better known in his, as his character, Super Dave Osborne. Oh, wow, really? Yeah, that was Albert Brooks' big brother, Bob I Einstein. I did not know that. And I he will, died, I think, last year or the year before. He's died will, within the last couple of years. I will say Albert Brooks uh, being named Albert Einstein, his parents doing that to him, certainly explains a lot about the character. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Modern Romance is one of the it was one of his earlier and, and films, probably not as well known. Uh, so that's my second pick. My third he's pick a, is he's a he's a film editor. His character is a film yep. editor. And there's Correct. a great there's a great sequence that you see over and over. They're they're editing a science fiction film, and he's a sound editor, and they add sound, and it just makes the scene. It's a little bit of a movie within the movie. And who's who is it? George Kennedy, who is the star of the movie that he's editing? Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, George Kennedy, yeah, the old blue knight, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yep, yep. My next one is a, so Streets of Fire had a lot of music in it. Not in Romance, not so much. But my next one is a music is a music movie. A 1994 movie called Backbeat, and this is a somewhat fictionalized account of the Beatles' days in Hamburg, uh, and it focuses on the three-way relationship between John Lennon, Stu Sutcliffe, and Astrid Kircher, who was Stu Sutcliffe's girlfriend, uh, played by Cheryl Lee, who was Laura Palmer in uh, in Twin Peaks. Uh, but, uh, it's a really, really cool movie. Uh, and it's got a fantastic soundtrack. It's, 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 it's songs that the Beatles covered. It's not Beatles songs, but it's old rock and roll songs that the Beatles were covering when they were in Hamburg. And the band is amazing. So Dave Perner from Soul Asylum does the McCartney vocals. Greg Dooley from the Afghan Wigs does Lennon's vocals. Henry Rollins does Stu Sutcliffe's vocals. The guitarists are Thurston Moore from Sonic Youth and Don Fleming from Gumball. Mike Mills from R.E.M. plays bass and Dave Grohl plays drums. 
and this pretty good little band here. The, the soundtrack is is just fantastic, and it's a, it's a, it, it was an English German uh, collaboration that had about half the crew half the crew and the creative people were English and half were German because it takes place again in Hamburg. So Backbeat is the name of that movie. Check it out if you haven't seen it. My next one is might be the probably the best known, and whether this is under the radar or not, I guess depends on whether you ever lived in Texas because it was a huge movie here. But it's John Sayles Lone Star. Which is a incredible, Another really good choice, man. Incredible movie, uh, great cast: Chris Cooper, Matt, uh, Chris Christopherson, Matthew McConaughey, Elizabeth Pena. Um, uh, politics, law enforcement, uh, and corruption, border, racism, corruption, racism, all on the on the Texas Mexico border. Matthew McConaughey actually plays Chris Cooper's father because he's only in flashbacks. Right, right. So uh, it's kind of a Western noir kind of thing. It, <laughs> and it's John Sayles, great indie director and probably my favorite John Sayles movie. And had the Tr- best Tr- one ever. If you're a Texan, you've got to appreciate this. Where uh, one of the flashback scenes with Chris Christopherson and uh, Matthew McConaughey, when she says, kid, forget the Alamo. Yeah, yeah, because <laughs> yeah, what it's a registered trademark that we remember yeah. that. <laughs> Forget the Alamo. That was perfect, man. Yeah. So Lone Star is a is a great great film. Uh, uh, so that's my number four, and my number five is is a recent movie came out in 2018, and it's called Sorry to Bother You, and it was written and directed by a guy named Boots Riley. Uh, it was his debut film, and this is how the director described it an absurdist dark comedy with aspects of magical realism and science fiction inspired by the world of telemarketing. Lakeith Stanfield stars as a telemarketer. He's a black guy and he finally becomes successful as a telemarketer by using his white voice. He's, he talks like a, a white guy to people on the phone and becomes hugely successful at telemarketing and David Cross actually voices his white voice, uh, which is which is really uh, it's it's kind of absurdist, but it's cool. Um, Lakeith Stanfield's character becomes so successful um, that he ends up meeting the the head of this whole telemarketing empire, and things go really sideways from there. It's not completely unlike Get Out. Uh, uh, it's, it's less of a horror movie and more of a dark comedy than Get Out is. Um, but it is a really interesting film and it, it, (laughs) it goes somewhere really weird. I'm not even going to begin to describe what, what ends up happening in the back half of the movie, but it's got, uh, you know, it takes on unionism, consumerism, the whole idea of a capital capitalist society obviously race is a big issue in it it is uh it's it's a really interesting movie and uh it's it's called sorry to bother you came out in 2018 so uh check that one out nice was that, your, was that five yeah that's five that's Man, five that was a good list and and uh yeah streets of fire wow I've been, meaning, I've been I've been meaning to rewatch that movie for years, and I just never have. I I rewatch I watched it again. I don't know about three or four years ago, and let me just say, it holds up 
but I think part of the reason it holds up for me is because it's so nostalgic. It looks, I mean, it so just looks like a 1984 MTV video, man. It does. It and, does. And, and uh, when earlier, and this is a little off topic, but not much, earlier when uh, Pat was talking about his, uh, about the Reagans, and I was thinking about that, and it's like, you know, man, just, when he said that, what I think about is the Reagan era, and I don't think about the politics of it. I get nostalgic for it, nostalgic for it, because that was was when I was in my early mid twenties, man. So, you know, life was fun. I had just moved to Austin. I was in a band. It was it was cool stuff. There was MTV, <laughs> you know, and uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, if you rewatch it, I expect you're gonna feel that little surge. <laughs> Yep. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm overlooking the doubt, the pitfalls of it. I'm trying to multitask uh, with all these different uh, record, recordings and non recordings and everything. So I'm going to go ahead and run mine down and let you guys uh, continue on while I work on all this other stuff. Well, so, uh, anyway, stuff. mine's a pretty. Um, it was really hard for me to do a list like this because I'm such a uh, movies are only I search say second to music uh, maybe third books may come in ahead of movies I'm not sure but that's my it's been my entire life is records books and movies pretty much I mean that's all I I don't know much about anything else I sure don't know how to fix a car. My dad tried to teach me, and I was like, no, I'm reading this book. And it was not the audio manual. But it was my not movies, the book on how to fix a car. <laughs> it was not a Chilton's. Yeah, right. this, it was not the Chilton's. Uh, uh, Your dad yeah. should have got Volkswagen. Might have been the Alex Chilton, but that's a different kind. The, uh, I'll start, my five are in no particular order, but there are five that I really like. The first one is a movie called The Mighty, and uh, about a young boy, uh, Kevin, who suffers from a medical disorder that weakens his heart and stunts his growth. His best friend, Max, is dyslexic and a big, huge boy, towers above his classmates. The two boys are totally different, and they end up forging a bond and a friendship Kevin helps Max with his reading, and Max, in turn, protects Kevin from people that would pick on him. Uh, Kevin is very, very weak, and he, he gets to where he rides around on Max's shoulders all the time. Uh, Kevin lives in a fantasy world where he's a noble knight, uh, and it cuts to a lot of those types of scenes uh, that are fantasy scenes in Kevin's mind. It's really cool. It's a star-studded movie with uh, Sharon Stone, Harry Dean Stanton, Gina Rowlands, Gillian Anderson, James Gandolfini, and even cameos by Meatloaf and Sting. The Mighty is just one of the finest uh, heartwarming movies I've seen ever, I suppose. And speaking of that, I rewatched this one last night. Uh, just love this movie called A Love Song for Bobby Long from 2004. 
uh, stars John Travolta, and um, based uh, based on the novel uh, Off Magazine Street by Ronald Caps. Now Ronald Caps, his son Grayson Caps, is a great singer songwriter, and Grayson wrote the theme song "Love Song for Bobby Long." He also appears in the movie as the lounge singer, which is kind of cool how it all ties together. But uh, Bobby Long, played by John Travolta, a former professor turned full-time drunk, and his buddy Lawson Pines, played by Gabriel Matt, uh, Long's, uh, he was Long's former teaching ascendant, uh, assistant, that's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> anyway, they spend their days drinking and swapping literary quotations. They kind of do that high-fidelity thing, but with quotes from literature, one of them will call, say, a line of dialogue, and the other one has to say who the writer was, you know, which is kind of cool. Takes place in New Orleans, and um, the guys have sort of squatted in the house of a, a friend and lounge singer who had passed away. Well, then her daughter, Scarlett Johansson, as Percy, shows up uh, to reclaim her mother's property and everything kind of goes a little bit haywire for a while, but it ends up being a, uh, a yet another one of these heartwarming stories. I, I wrote a note here that said no spoilers, because I all I've got to say is it was wonderfully acted, and John Travolta gave an Oscar-worthy performance in his role. I mean, he was absolutely unbelievable. And all the characters just seem so real. All right, and that's my uh, that's another one of mine. I, I start to say number two, but it's really they're not really numbered. The next one is a movie um, from the early seventies called Tomorrow. I didn't even know this movie existed until recently, and I, uh, my friend Dwayne a.k.a. Rebel, told me about this movie called Tomorrow. He said, have you seen it? And I said, no. He says, Robert Duvall in his breakthrough performance playing the character Jackson. It's based on a short story by William Faulkner uh, in 1930s Mississippi. Jackson Fentry, played by Robert Duvall, as I said, he lives by himself um, and is the sole caretaker of a sawmill. And then one day he discovers this young girl who's three months pregnant. And uh, she's been abandoned by her husband and her family. Jackson takes her in and the two fall in love and get married. Just before her death, Jackson raises the child up. Uh, well, I mean, get married. They get married just before her death. Boy, I can't even read my own writing. Um, Jackson raises the child as, as his own until the boy's uncles arrive and uh, to take him back to the family. Now, here's the thing about Tomorrow and Robert Duvall. This one took place, as I said, in the 70s, early 70s. Uh, but his character, if you watch this movie, his character is Carl Childers from Sling Blade. Now, I have not posed this question to Billy Bob, uh, but I'm sure that 
he based a little bit of Carl Childers on this character that Duvall did because they're very, very similar. Um, but Tomorrow is a very, uh, another good movie. That's another good one. Two more. Speaking of Thornton, Billy Bob Thornton, another film that flew under the radar was a 2001 film that he wrote, directed, and starred in called Daddy and Them. And uh, the central characters are Claude and Ruby. That's Billy Bob and Laura Dern. Uh, they, there's never been a couple that have been more madly in love or also as often at odds with one another. Gave okay, a kiss in one minute and fight in the next. You know that. You know that story. When new, when the news reached him that uh, Claude's uncle Hazel has been arrested, Uncle Hazel played by Jim Varney, <laughs> they head to the family home in Little Rock to lend their support. As the extended family reunites, hilarity ensues. Uh, great things about this movie, the casting that Billy got in there. His father is played by Andy Griffith. And uh, his brother is played by John Prine. And I thought that was really cool. He Really he, interesting cast. Yeah. He does that. He puts people in the movies. And, um, you know, and Duvall did that, too, with his movies. He, uh, oh, Sean, I think I got turned sideways in my thoughts there. One of them, Shaver Act, Dan. It was either one of, I think it was Robert Duvall's. It might have been in that. Uh, yeah, it was. And The Apostle. He put Billy Joe Shaver in a role in that movie. Yeah, that's right, yeah. And uh, so I just love that kind of thing. And uh, the other one I mentioned once before, but um, I went back and watched it again the other day. It's The Ruling Class, 1972, Peter O'Toole. The Earl of Gurney dies and his estate is inherited by his schizophrenic son, Jack. Jack is kind of nuts. He dances around the estate and uh, is always dancing and swinging his cane around and his top hat. But he also thinks that he is Jesus Christ reincarnated. He really believes it. Therefore, he's got a cross hanging in his house. He likes to once in a while kind of hang up on the cross. And he, the family tries to, decides that he's nuts. And they want to take the estate away from him. They plot and scheme and go about all kinds of measures. Then they decide that they're going to cure him of his mental disorder. And they keep messing with him and messing with him. Well, let's put it this way. It ends up going sideways. And uh, he takes on another personality. Uh, a little bit less peaceful than that of Jesus Christ. It's... <laughs> It's quite a shocker, uh, but once again, Peter O'Toole in my top five actors of all time. So that's that's the way that is. That's that's my other one, and and don't you think it ought to be? So next up we have. Has Billy done his yet? No. Nope. Do yours and then Pat. We'll let Patrick Pat's get it bat and clean up. All right. <laughs> and and you're about to. You're about to bug out and monkey with the technical. Oh, well, yeah, just uh, <clears throat> just my vocal. I'm going to be listening. I may pop back in. Oh, I will after you get done. Well, well, uh, 
Well, yeah. I, I didn't put mine in any particular order, and unlike Buff, I didn't really look mine up. So I, I'm doing this from memory. But uh, there's a uh, my number five pick. It's it's a not very well known uh, Scorsese film, which and it's one that's really out of character for him. And it's called After Hours. It came out. It came out in the mid '80s, and uh, it's. Uh, I, I was I, I originally watched it because in the mid '80s it it stars Rosanna Arquette and she was huge to, you know, on the she was on the upside of a, a huge spike in her career and it, it's a really great movie and it's just this series of unfortunate <laughs> events that just keep happening to this guy and uh, the thing I liked about it, it's all set at night. It happens between like bar time and dawn. And it, and it's basically the story. It's almost like the Odyssey. It's about this guy trying to get home. That's all he's trying to do is get home. And he's lost his wallet. He doesn't have cab fare. And, it, and you'd have to watch it because it's way more than I'm going to go into here. That's my number five pick. What's your number five pick, Pat? You really want me to spoil it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's 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 trade. That keeps it from that keeps it fresh. My number five pick is uh, is a movie that I'm pretty sure Jim and I saw when I was still in high school with our friend Richard Woodside on VHS tape called DOA: A Rite of Passage. It's a movie about the very very earliest British punk scene. Ah, oh, cool. It's got. Uh, it's it's mostly about the Sex Pistols aborted United States tour, but it also has, in addition to the Sex Pistols, the Dead Boys, uh, Gen X, Rich Kids, X-Ray Specs, Sham 69, and an utterly and justifiably forgotten punk band called Terry and the Idiots. They were terrible. They sucked. Anyway, um, this... <clears throat> This uh, this film was about, you know, fashion and music in London, and then the Pistols decide they want to invade America, and they famously broke up on stage at the end of a show after less than an hour in San Francisco. But the filmmakers didn't have permission to shoot any of their shows, so they were doing, like, punk rock filmmaking. They would barge in with handheld cameras and say, hey, we're here with a local TV station or whatever. Of course, there's footage from the infamous shows in Dallas and San Antonio. Right. If you look, if you look really hard uh, at the San Antonio crowd, you might see Kathy Valentine and Jesse Seblet in the pit. Uh, and then, of course, the Sex Pistols break up on stage, and then we have footage of Sid and Nancy in their, you know, uh, squalid flat at the Hotel Chelsea in Soho, and you know what's going to happen to them. They're being interviewed together in bed Sid is wearing sunglasses and smoking a cigarette and nods off and keeps burning like the sheets and Nancy's dress or whatever and it's you know what's going to happen to them right it's it's not a perfect movie uh it's it's kind of shaky it's but it's really punk rock and it's a wonderful document of the time it pairs very very nicely with Penelope Spheris's Decline of Western Civilization Part One, I've which is about yeah. which is about the the early days of the LA punk scene, coast, yeah. just a couple of years older. That, that reminds later. me. 
a book you may want to run down uh, was written by uh, that that uh, Sex Pistols tour. Uh, it was written by the guy whose name I'm blanking on. That the tour manager, I've got. Yeah, it's got called it, yeah. Thirteen Days in America. Yeah. It's a great yeah. book, man. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, when you were talking about the scenes, like uh, from in San Antonio, they played Randy's Rodeo. That was a venue mm-hmm. they played. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. and they and 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 he he writes about it from behind the you know behind the scenes as trying to road manage that particular act and uh yeah anyway okay so that was your number five here's my number four my number four and um it mine are mostly mine are mostly going to be comedies man because we have enough bleakness going going on in reality (laughs) at the moment got Um, that right a movie and i'm not sure what year it came out 83 i think stars henry winkler and uh Michael Keaton. It's a movie called Night Shift, and it's oh yeah, yeah. It's, it's about a guy that works at this. He's a he's a had been a Wall Street guy. Henry Winkler been a Wall Street guy, and the, and the pressure got him, and he had like a nervous breakdown. And he's got a neurotic girlfriend, and everybody pushes him around. And his he works a night shift at the city morgue, and his assistant is. Michael Keaton and uh, the female lead is Shelley Long. She plays a prostitute who is Henry Winkler's neighbor and her pimp gets killed and he meets, he, he knows her as his neighbor, but he meets her uh, officially when she comes to the morgue to identify the body and they wind up being pimps. <laughs> and uh, it's, yeah, it, it, again, screwball comedy, it, it's kind of funny. All the ones I picked, man, are largely set at night. You know, it's, <laughs> and, and again, it all happens in the dark, and it's uh, and, and it's called Night Shift, and and you know, it's funny in a real quirky way. Henry Winkler's a great comedic actor. I mean, I think everybody already knows Michael Keaton is, but uh, but man, uh, I was amazed at, at how funny Henry Winkler could be as a straight man, cause he's kind of acting as a straight man in that film to Michael Keaton throwing all the goofy punchlines. What's your number four, Pat? I got to say my number four is an inadvertently funny movie. The Room by Johnny Wiseau. Often, Lisa, often called- you tear <laughs> me apart. <laughs> oh, hi, Mark. You know, uh, it's so terrible. It's so incredibly terrible. And it's a movie that's so terrible. It had a movie made about how terrible it is. It has all, uh, the plot makes no sense. There's like a, one of the characters has a breast cancer diagnosis that comes up and then just goes away. Everybody is terrible in it. The script is in it. They've got all kinds of ridiculous continuity problems. And it came out. I didn't realize this until this morning when I looked it up. It came out 17 years ago and became like the the big midnight movie of the last 10 years because it's so awful. The thing's made millions and millions of dollars. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's hugely successful financially. Yeah. And then, of course, uh, (sighs) Gyllenhaal and all those guys make a movie about the movie and uh, you see that he was just delighted to see people laughing at screenings, even though that wasn't his intent. So the, I, mean, I, I was I was thinking about some of the most terrible movies I've ever ever seen, and the list is not short, especially since when my sons were young. 
we spent a number of years watching really, really, really awful science fiction and monster movies. There's one with Leonard Nimoy in it called Night of the Lepus, where they have like these giant Jeez, yeah. marauding rabbits. But yep. uh, <laughs> Yeah. But I gotta say, uh, I gotta say, the room is even worse than that. It is so horrible in so many ways, and it is one of those movies that's so bad it's good. Well, it it actually displaced Plan Nine from Outer Space as the worst movie ever made in, uh, you know, right. like like in media list. It, it right. is it is on any. It's in the top two of any list of the worst movies ever made. And he doesn't care. Johnny Wiseau doesn't care. Also, what is with that accent? Where is he from? Yeah, <laughs> I wondered that. I wondered that too. It's like somewhere between like part of it's French and part of it is like from Romania or something. Man. Oh is hi, it? Mark. How's how's your sex life? <laughs> I, I, I really thought he had gotten the accent from the old Saturday Night Live skit Sprockets. <laughs> remember that with michael myers this is the time sure. of sprockets when sure. we dance yeah <laughs> so uh so that's your number four it's your turn yeah and i'm i'm you know on the fly here uh i'm not sure if this is uh i think this was a hbo production and i i don't know if it got a uh theatrical release but uh it's a movie called broken trail and uh, it's a Western with, uh, uh, damn, geez, man, I shouldn't have had that fifth beer. <laughs> Robert, du, Robert Duvall and uh, what's up? Uh, damn, hang on. I got to look the actor's name up. He's got three names, which is why I never can remember. I, I can only ever remember two of them. Hayden Church. Uh, Thomas Hayden Church. Yeah. He's, it's. The the plot of the movie is that they're horse wranglers and they have uh like in Idaho and they have been to uh San Francisco to, to get a herd of horses and they wind up escorting a group of uh Chinese women to some town like in Idaho or Montana where they're they have been sold to that town and it's uh it had real elements of uh lonesome dove in it but it was a it was a lot simpler story but it was a very good movie it was real sparse it there there was not there, there wasn't a lot of dialogue it was it was a beautifully shot picture and uh if you like lonesome dove man give it a shot it's not quite that good but it's still a pretty good movie and the script was good and the the uh the plot was very good about the you know the traveling across the old west with this wagon full of uh chinese women who had no rights anyway being women and really had no rights being chinese and it's about you know people trying to steal them and people trying to buy them and and uh it's, it's, hey, B Billy, what's this called again? We got I'm called, taking... uh, Broken Trail. Okay, thanks. <clears throat> yeah, it's it's and I and I think it was an HBO production. I, I don't know that it got a theatrical release. It's not a very long movie, about ninety minutes, but it's pretty good. What's your number three, Pat? Uh, I gotta go with uh, something from about 
the time that the room came out, I believe, uh, the early 2000s, a movie called Lost in La Mancha about Terry Gilliam's doomed first attempt to adapt Don Quixote as a film. Uh, Terry Gilliam, we all know from the Pythons and Brazil and yada, yada, yada. So he secures, he's, it's been his goal his whole life to make a movie of Don Quixote. And he secures about $40 million of independent financing in Europe, which is an enormous budget for uh, a movie to be made in not the United States. And even before they get to the location, his, his uh, financiers or creditors, if you will, have cut it to 32 million. So that's a problem. <laughs> that's a problem before they even get to the desert. And then there's these torrential rains in the middle of the desert. Just, just not even monsoon, just like horrific hurricane strength rains in the middle of the desert. I forget where they were shooting. It was in Qatar or something, but they're on location and everything is already behind, already behind before they've shot even a foot of film. And then the guy, a lot of the other actors, because of these production delays, have contractual obligations to be in other movies and they're still shooting this one. So they're like, what do we do about this? It gets so bad that the creditors actually take the script away from Gilliam until they get paid back at least part of their money. Right. It, it keeps raining. Everything that can possibly go wrong goes wrong. And you think, oh, you feel so bad for Terry Gilliam. And then the guy who's playing Don Quixote in the film is 70 years old. And he also happens to have a prostate that's 70 years old and he has to get treated for that. And the movie never got made, at least that first time he made a version of Don Quixote called the man who killed Don Quixote. But this is a, this is a great movie about a movie. It's a movie about a dreamer pursuing an impossible dream, trying to make a movie about a dreamer pursuing an impossible dream. Impossible dream. <laughs> no, that's a good choice, man. Very meta. It's, and, that, uh, and, that, and that's your number That's your number three pick. That's my number three pick. It's called uh, Lost in La Mancha. Okay, and I'm going to stay for my number two pick, and uh, I'm going to stay in the Lost theme, and I'm going to pick uh, an Albert Brooks movie <laughs> that, <laughs> that Jim mentioned earlier, and it's a uh, it's a movie called lost in America. And it, uh, I have a hard time describing this movie. You just have to watch it. It's it's about two, it's about two yuppies that dream of, uh, they live in LA and they've got all the pressures that yuppies have. And, you know, they, they have high powered jobs and they work all the time. They have a really giant house. They have a whole lot of bills and, and, uh, Albert Brooks, uh, it's Albert Brooks and, and uh, uh, Julie Haggerty, mm-hmm. and and, the, mm-hmm. and and Albert Brooks is is an advertising guy, and he's up for a big promotion, and he gets passed over, and he decides that the thing to do is to, you know, that that he's he's had it with the yuppie life, and he's had it with the rat race, and they're gonna liquidate. They're going to liquidate all their assets. And they're going to pay off all their bills. And when they get done, they're going to buy this, they're going to buy this RV. And then they've got like $150,000 in cash. And he's figured all of it out where they can live the rest of their lives on that money. If, and so they can travel around the country 
like Easy Rider because he he really likes uh, he he really likes the idea of the freedom of the road and the not having to to do what the man says and all this stuff and uh and it turns out just about like you think it would they have on the road they have like two good days and they get to Vegas and she blows money and they they wind up I love the part where they wind up in uh Tempe Arizona and she gets a job as the assistant manager at the Dervener Smith's after after she blows the nest egg right yes. the nest egg, the nest egg. Hey, and, and she's not allowed to say nest egg anymore you lost the no, nest egg no and you're not allowed a, to say yes. nest or egg yeah, birds live a, in a round stick, round stick. And, we, and we have so, things sunny side <laughs> up, right? up and and he and he gets a job as a crossing guard right yeah yeah, yeah i had forgotten about that that yeah her manager one of the favorite one of my favorite scenes in cinema history when her manager uh, at the Derwiner Sinitzel, who's about 19 comes over and he's watching their, their, they got a little mini TV and he's watching it. He can't believe how small the TV is, but he says, man, Barney Rubbles, man, what an actor. <laughs> 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 but I was so inspired by that movie that I named the road band I was in lost in America. <laughs> And because it's never what you think it's gonna be. True. And that's that's Love my it. number. That's my number two pick. Uh, I think Love I think Brooks directed that too, right? I yep. believe so. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, man. And you know, you're talking about underrated movies. Uh, you can make up a list with, of just Albert Brooks movies. Uh, uh, you know. Anyway, yep. what, what's your number two, Patrick? My number two. Uh, my number two. I'm gonna make you an offer you don't refuse. This is uh, this is a movie you've seen, everybody's seen, but it's the first two Godfather movies cut as a chronological single film. It's called The Godfather Epic. Yeah, I believe it was. About this, yeah. Yes, it was. I believe it was released theatrically for a little bit, and he might have cut it for television. But the really cool thing is. Uh, Coppola had to undergo a bunch of like really onerous cuts that Paramount demanded in both of those movies. And there are parts of those movies that just don't make sense because of those cuts. And what you see in the Godfather epic, which is it starts with uh, uh, Don Corleone in Sicily and proceeds chronologically through his life. And then we get to Michael and all that. You, you see the story make a whole lot more sense and it's just wonderful. You can't buy it. I, I regret to say you cannot buy the Godfather. <laughs> they won't sell epic. it to you. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it does turn up on cable now and then. So if you see it, grab it, keep it on your DVR if that's your thing or whatever. But the Godfather epic is my most perfect expression of the two Godfather films because the story makes so much more sense because of the cuts and those those are two of my favorite movies of all time obviously we, we talked about this a little bit yesterday when we were uh when we were chatting and and uh the thing that i really like and i first saw that in like uh 86 maybe uh and i rented it at the video store and it was oh, yeah. like five VHS <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah i rented the whole thing yeah and uh but 
you know, I'd seen I'd seen one and two, three hadn't been made yet at that time, but but I'd seen one and two, and you know, it's good, it's great story, and and uh, but when I watched the, the epic that you're talking about, where they had put in the deleted scenes and it was in chronological order, you got so much more of the backstory, and it it, it makes you realize that that in in the theatrical release of godfather one and two you don't get a whole lot of, of don vito you, you don't get a whole lot of how he got where he is i mean right you kind of get the highlights of the flashbacks after he was in america and a little bit when he's in sicily but but no the, it really fills that story in a lot and yeah it fleshes that character out a whole bunch and i remember the last time i I'm sorry to interrupt but no the, no the, i was done the last time i saw it I was friends on Facebook with uh, the late great musician uh, Tommy Keene, and I just saw him post something about, "Hey, this is on American Movie Classics," and so I, you know, hit the DVR and I watched it about five times, <laughs> much right. to my wife's disappointment. And then, of course, the DVR took a crap, and we had to like give it up and lose everything on the DVR. So I haven't seen it since, whenever shortly after Tommy Keene died, two or three years ago, but. Man, is it ever good. You will, no matter how many times you've seen these movies, and I have seen them a lot, yeah. the, story, the story will make a whole bunch more sense. So look for it, the Godfather epic. You got one more, Billy. Yeah, I do. And this one, uh, I was telling you about this one yesterday. Uh, this is a movie, I think it was uh, Kevin Costner's first starring role. It was an indie, it was started out as a student film i don't remember the director's name uh it's set in it's the initial setting it's set at the university of texas in austin which was you know something that interested me being an austinite and all uh it's a movie called fandango and it's about a group of uh of college students that are graduating and it's like 1970 and they're and they're and they're about to be eligible for the draft, and they're going to have to go to Vietnam. Uh, and it's I don't want to give too much of it away. If anybody wants to look it up, it's a it's a really uh, underrated kind of movie. It's not very well known. If you're I don't know, probably if you're past forty five, it may not resonate with you so much. But uh, I. I was in my twenties when I first saw it and I was like, Oh yeah. And I watched it again a couple of years ago and then it's still pretty good. It's about, they, they make a last <laughs> trip before they, before they have to graduate college and go out into the real world. And, uh, and uh, it stars Judd Nelson and they, they're making a, they're on a quest. They're going out uh, in West Texas on, on a quest and to, find something that they left there when they were freshmen and it's a it's a pretty good story and uh, you know that's one of those movies that with a real advertising budget could have been something especially uh given that it came out at a time when cable cable cinemax and showtime and you know there were 50 cable channel movie channels and we're hurting for content but uh I don't think it got much of an advertising push. Uh, Kevin Costner was a very good actor, even when he was young. And, and that anybody that saw Bull Durham and liked his character and that this is like a precursor to him being Crash Davis and Bull Durham, although it's 
not exactly a comedy. It, it's it's kind of dark, but that's my number one pick. Fandango. I like that. I like that. You know, I've been I've been taking notes all through this thing. I think I've got a bunch of movies to watch through this long weekend. So I guess that brings me to my number one. <laughs> I can't wait to hear your number one, man. It's kind of a it's kind of a bank shot. It's kind of a cheat, but I'm gonna make my case. Okay. All right. That nah, man, I have faith in you, man. <laughs> Back when I was in college during uh reconstruction in the early Jim Crow years, uh I was an orphan one year. And uh, my buddy Mark Flora, who's now a rockabilly musician in, in Minneapolis with his wife, has a wonderful band called the Holy Rock and Rollers. He invited me to his family's Thanksgiving. And I was like, okay, I, I got no place else to go. I got no place else to go. Well, you were an orphan that year, right? I was an orphan that year. So I went to his family's house and they were very welcoming and very nice. And, you know, I was a, I was a starving college student and I just ate and ate and ate and <laughs> ate and ate. And ate. And I had been to his parents' house before, and I had eaten and eaten and eaten and eaten. And so after Thanksgiving dinner is over, Mark's mom, Bonnie, grabs Mark and says, Mark, does Pat ever eat? (laughs) Anyway, Mark said they had this family tradition. After Thanksgiving dinner was over with, they always watched the same movie. What was it? And now that Thanksgiving is the car with the receding taillights. I can mention the movie that we watched, which was once kind of a cult movie. It was lost at the time of release, and now it's completely ubiquitous. It is A Christmas Story. What a great movie. (laughs) (laughs) I had never heard of it. And they said, are you kidding? We watch this movie on VHS every year. And of course now, Turner or AMC or whatever plays it on a loop for basically like the last seven months of the entire year up to and including Christmas time. But so I was just blown away by the movie. It did nothing at the time. And now it is, it is the the, the very definition of a, an enormous cult movie because it, they have Christmas story merchandise. You can go to the Christmas story house, which I believe is in, Toledo, Ohio, or where? Uh, it was somewhere in, in Indiana, somewhere. Yeah, yeah. That you know, that was uh, uh, and damn, you guys are journalists. Well, uh, that was a memoirs of Gene Shepard. Right, right, and it was yeah. based on his memoir and God We Trust. All right. everybody else pays cash. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> So this was uh, my first time seeing that was a uh, Thanksgiving tradition in in my friend the Flores family, and it, it became uh, after we had kids a tradition in our house to put the movie in every year when we put up the Christmas tree, and we still do that. Man, so. you've inspired me. Next week when we do the show, I have a pair of Ralphie pajamas. <laughs> and i'm gonna do next week's show in my ralphie pajamas there you go that's great was that it that's yeah. it all right yeah. well, good. that's that the most overexposed cult movie one-time cult movie of all time uh you yeah, know man, one, i saw that when it came out in the theater and i did not make it through the movie i thought it was so bad really and then when it came out on cable, I watched it, and I was like, ah, you know, it's not that bad. And now I actually like it. It was one of those things that, it, it, you know, the way some movies don't age well, that one did. And, man, yeah. I could have done 10 or 15 off this list because 
almost any movie Harry Dean Stanton was ever in would have would have been great on this list. Right on, right I was on. thinking yeah. about Paris, Texas. Yeah, and, uh, I had that on my list and knocked it off. Yeah, and uh, Black Marble. I think that was the name. Mm-hmm. He plays the guy that kidnaps that prize-winning dog, and he totally psychotic. Repo Man, which mm-hmm. was executively mm-hmm. produced by Michael Nesmith. Yep. That yeah. that may be one of the best movies of all time. Yeah. Wow. And Some good all stuff, the, man. All their generic stuff. Let's go get a drink. And he's yeah, holding yeah. white well, can that says drink on the side. <laughs> well, I'm going to jump into this. This is going to be like uh, Tom Dowd trying to do the edits on the Layla. He said that uh, when he was doing that and they had magnetic tape and he would cut sections and had ta- uh tape laying all around the studio and they would splice it all back together you know i can't even imagine doing that kind of editing you know but that's kind of like what i got to do with this show today um before we ring off buff uh i got an idea you're doing a youtube channel thing right yeah we it shouldn't be a regular thing but like when big events happen you know and music we ought to convene this panel for like a 20 minute chat on whatever just happened. So like when Chuck Berry died, we could have done, you know, we could have done like 15 or 20 minutes of, of video just of, uh, about Chuck Berry and, and, uh, your channel, you don't have to do that, but that's, it would yeah, help but still, that's it, a good it, idea. Yeah. I was trying and to... it would help. It would help plug the show. Well, yeah. And it's, uh, it's neat. That's a good idea. Yeah. We'll do that. And given the uh, way people are dropping like flies, it probably won't be long before we'll need to do one like that. 2020, how great is this? I'm actually not expecting to live through it, which is why I'm drinking so much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, those of, anybody who does live through it is just very fortunate. Well, and I'm, here's what, man. But if I, if I drink myself to death, nobody's going to be all that surprised. And, uh, the best foot, the man, the best plug our our band could have gotten if Jim would have got rabies and died when he got when that dog bit him a few years ago. Yeah, well, sorry about that. Died. Hate to let you down. We had we had it. We had an emergency room doctor visiting uh who came down to see us during South by. So he was my go to to make sure I didn't. This was this was great, man. And uh, yeah, there was a doctor in one of the groups that had come to see our band play. But they were all drunk. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, looked, I figured I figured that'd make him honest. And he he looked. He said, "Man, you know you're probably okay, but if, you know, but do this and do that and do the other thing." So the uh, it was late the afternoon because shit, man, we had something like every fucking day that week, man. Yeah. And the next day we get together to play, and Jim's like, "Yeah, man, I'm." I went to the ER, man. Saw a doctor. Well, you didn't go to the ER. You went to your regular doctor, right? Yeah, yeah. And he said, so I'm now, I've now seen two doctors. One of them was even sober. Yeah. yeah I trusted cool. the drunk one more, though, because, you know, they're not going to spare your feelings. Well, we've got, to, we've got yeah. to end here at some point because uh, okay. I, thought, I thought we were out. <laughs> no, no, no. No, uh-uh, no. Uh, we're still well, recording. I, well, and, and, that's uh, when, and that's when Jim says, man, can you imagine the publicity we'd have got if, I had died of rabies, man. We'd have been like the only band in history whose guitar player died of rabies. 
Well, I hate to take that away from you, but um, I'm, I'm, I'm glad he didn't. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Me too. That being said, uh, next week, guys, we're going to, some of you may have read the text message and some may not have. Uh, we're going to pick our five favorite Bob Dylan songs. And, wow. uh, you know, hopefully dig deep, you know. There's a few songs to pick from, <laughs> quite a few. But anyway, we're uh, we're gonna head out and we're gonna play a song. Uh, I mentioned earlier one of my movies was a love song for Bobby Long, so I'm gonna play that song by Grace and Caps, a love song for Bobby Long, and say bye everybody. Bye everybody. Bye everybody. All right. Alabama at the Colonial Inn Hot day old orange juice and vodka on a nightstand Desert Chevy Nova with the seat burned out the back From a wind stung cigarette that was stomped into the window Bobby Long was like Zorba the Greek Sidetracked by the scent of a woman Could have been an actor On a movie screen Stayed in Alabama Just a dreamer of dreams He played football against W.S. Neal Should have seen him running down the field now I grow old, I grow old Where the bottoms of my trousers roll love song for Bobby Long A love song for Bobby Long Now he was a handsome man He had Cherokee cheekbones A fair-haired boy where did he go wrong? He chose a road less traveled, made all the difference. Now he's chastised, criticized, he don't make no sense. Bruton called him crazy, said Bobby Long was nothing but a drunk. But all the thoughts in his head was way past anything they done thunk. A love song for Bobby Long. A love song for Bobby Long. But don't get me wrong, Bobby Long was no good. He'd drag you down if he thought he could, well, he would and drag you down. Road our ride will be the death of me Won't you come along say Road our ride is gonna set me free It's gonna take me home 
used to drink and tell lies, praise Flannery O'Connor, smoke cigarettes and philosophize. So here I am at the Colonial Inn, me and Captain Long and my pretty girlfriend. Well, he charms her with a poem, then he breaks down and cries. Smile a crooked smile with his broken cheekbone side. Tells about his life, now he's 63. He looks me in the eyes and says, come and go with me. He can walk on water, walk on water, but you know he drowned himself in wine. God and the devil, God and the devil, God and the devil all inside his mind. It's a love song for Babylon. A love song. That was Grayson Caps and a love song for Bobby Long. Yeah, man, I just watched that movie again last night. And, it, man, it is a great movie. Just wonderful. And the music's good, too. And Grayson, he's just got all sorts of great uh, music out. If you're not familiar with him, be sure and check out Grayson Caps. That's going to wrap it up for the program today, folks. Uh, we do appreciate you uh, tuning in. I want to say a big thank you to uh, my partners in crime, Billy, Eli, Patrick Beach, and Jim Hemphill. And I want to thank our sponsors, the wonderful Springer Mountain Farms folks who have the great chicken that you can, I mean, some of the really healthy chicken. You've heard me talk about it so many times before. Fresh chicken responsibly raised on family farms. It's good, man. It's the best tasting chicken you're going to find. SpringerMountain.com Also brought to you by the Boxmasters, the band, and their brand new album, Light Rays. Check it out and go to TheBoxmasters.com for more information. And be sure to follow them own social media and thirdly we have last but not least fog hat sellers fog hat sellers been doing wine right now for a lot of years uh, not only are they a great rock and roll band but the drummer roger earl and his wife started this wonderful wine company and they have some outstanding vintages for sale uh, of both Chardonnay and Pinot and other kinds. Uh, all, all the wine, all the good wine at foghatsellers.com. Foghatsellers.com. Thank you to our sponsors. We greatly appreciate it. And we appreciate you guys listening in. Join us next week when we will be talking about Bob Dylan songs. And our favorite songs by the master himself should be interesting. Join us next week, same bat time, 
same bat channel. Until then, thanks and happy holidays.